I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as I go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. Today on the Executives Exchange, we are joined by Coco Mears, CEO and co-founder of Equilibria. Coco discusses how this Alabama native's early aspirations of dance and law transitioned to marketing and brand management. She talks about the journeys of her Chicago-based startups and how the Windy City is both tough and nurturing to its entrepreneurs. Tune in as she discusses the meaning of balance, the intersection of wellness, self-care, and beauty, and more. Hi, Coco. How are you? Hi, Margaret. So happy to be here. I'm so glad to see you. It looks like you've taken some good vacations. I've been stalking you on Insta. You know what? I never fully appreciated how much I needed change of scenery. I know all of us have gone through this, but I have taken full advantage of the world opening back up again, and it has fed my soul, Um, especially the little Italy jaunt. It may have been three and a half days, but it it definitely made up for three and a half years of, of not going across the ocean. Yeah. I know. It, I have not gotten on a plane in, I, I, I don't even know how long. <laughs> I'm really... well, I highly, I highly, highly recommend it. It was, um, it's been, it's been great. I know. That's really great. So um, here we are with Coco Mir. She is an amazing serial entrepreneur, investor, board member, mom, friend, all sorts of amazing things. So we want to get to know you a little bit, hear about your ventures, everything that you've been doing. So let's just start at the beginning. You grew up in Alabama. Was there a history of entrepreneurship in your family? Did you have people and role models? Like how how did this all come to be? It was the opposite. <laughs> everyone that I grew up with, except for my mom, who's a psychologist, but everyone else in my family, my father, my stepfather, my stepmother, everyone was an attorney. Um, so very, very, um, you know, law school was, was certainly, I, it was certainly supposed to be in my future until I went to go take the LSAT um, some summer, maybe the summer after my junior year in college. And I kept on bombing the LSAT practice test, like got them all wrong. Um, and finally my instructor pulled me over. He's like, listen, like, you know, if you were in the court of law, like you could definitely argue your way into, you know, a jury verdict on your side, but this is just plain wrong. Like you're not doing well on these tests. So I went and I had a kind of confession moment with my father and he said, you know, good for you. You're going to be liberated. You won't be a mind for hire. Like go out there and find your creativity and chart your own course. And so I think not following in the family business was actually a a wonderful opportunity to embrace the creative part of me. I was a dancer growing up. I was a very serious ballet dancer from an early age in a pre-professional company in Birmingham, Alabama, and, um, and had to make the decision at some point in high school to focus, you know, either on on yeah. going to college and having a more normal college experience or pure play dance and, and, and really focusing only on my, on my ballet career. I did choose the former, but I think the love of the stage, the love of performance, the comfort level with improv, the connecting with an audience, fully allowing myself to be present in a moment and a story is really the seed of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Well, and that's a hard moment too, right? Like you have to accept the fact that maybe you're not going to have a robust career as a professional dancer. And I think it's so hard to get to that point where you're like, I don't know, is this really the best path? Am I going to, am I going to make it or am I willing to do everything that it takes to get there? Right. So your love of ballet, are there any other areas from your childhood that were foundational? So much of our early life, you know, forms us in ways that we can't even imagine until we're older you know, and look back. So looking back, any other experiences from those early years? My parents divorced when I was about 10 or 11. And I saw my mom who had chosen after putting my dad through law school, she had chosen to stay home with me. And I'm six and a half years older than my younger sister, but my, my, my young sister. And so post-divorce, I saw her have to go and reinvent and spend her 40s working through her graduate degree, her master's, and then her PhD in psychology to follow her sort of midlife calling of of becoming a psychologist. And I was at once 
you know, deeply proud of her. And, and she was this incredible role model for us, but also struck by how vulnerable she was. Um, and so I think, you know, I, um, as a, as a single mom needing to reinvent her career, um, I, I think it's certainly that experience and watching her build, um, and she's gone on to build again and again. She sort of keeps on reinventing, which which I which I admire so much. But I know how hard it was um, with two young kids to to put all the pieces together in just a completely different way. Um, so I think there was certainly an an, an element of um, you know of autonomy, of um, inspiring this 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 dedication to to work and to mm-hmm. achievement and to financial independence um, that came from watching my mom, you know, lose that. Um, I also think that experience fostered in me the belief that women are strong and the just ardent desire to want to help them, you know, craft that next phase, whatever it is, look and feel their best. My entire career has been dedicated to women, to yeah. helping women look and feel their best. And I know we'll talk about that a little bit in that evolution, but certainly those formative years were inspired by you know, both her dedication to rebuilding and to building a career that she loved, that, that you know, through which she could take care of my sister and I. And also, um, you know, just wanting to help make it easier for women who were out there sort of trailblazing um, against against a lot of odds. Yeah, that's really great. I know I do. You have dedicated your career to disrupting industries for the benefit of women. It's really great. We will get there in just a minute. So I just want to cover a few more things. So um, you decided maybe a professional dance career was not the right path for you law, definitely not the right path. So what did you do? Did you apply to college? What was your first job? I did. I did. I, you know, I, um, I applied to college and, you know, had various summer jobs in high school and things like that. But, um, but again, they were working in all the law firms that were surrounding my family. And so that was out. I had failed the the pre-law path. I'd failed the ballet path. Um, (laughs) so, so Princeton took pity on me. Um, and they said, here's this liberal arts major. Um, let's see what we can do with her. Um, and I, as any good English major is, I was totally torn. Um, I looked on on the one end, I was, I was really passionate about, I still am, about literature and literary theory. And I um, think I probably would have been pretty happy as an English professor. So one, one part of me, you know, was, was I, 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 I wrote my, my, my senior thesis was all about post-colonial literary theory applied to the American South. Um, (laughs) There was like an incest theme in there. It was called It's All in the Family. Um, You know, it won a couple awards. I can kind of nerd out on on all that stuff. On the one hand, I saw a career as an academic. On the other hand, all of my friends were you know, this was 2004, um, the, the economy was roaring back. Every bulge bracket investment bank out there, every consulting firm would come to Princeton to interview. And I'm a competitor, right? So I put myself in, in, in the center of all those interview processes also. So listen, equilibrium is all about balance for women. What is right in the middle of a, an ivory tower, you know, academic English focus and um, a bulge bracket investment firm rotational training program? marketing in a CPG focused brand management type role. So I feel really lucky that, that L'Oreal took me on and, um, and gave me a lot of that foundational early training. And you got to live in Paris for a while. And I got to live in Paris for a while. Yeah. What do you do with a, uh, with an English major who, um, who doesn't yet know how to run a P&L? You train her to be the exact type of hub of, hub of the wheel general manager you need her to be. Um, yeah. And that was, I mean, even pre-Paris, that was an extraordinary um, education for me. Um, I, I kind of had a couple rounds of business school. I had the L'Oreal school and then yeah. actual business school and then and then first-time startup. So I've had just these really 
um, immersive periods of my life where I've been thrown in cross-functional skill sets, how to bring something to market on time, on budget, on brand. And that's what you're doing as a a brand manager, of course, um, but at global scale. So it was a really incredible couple of years in New York, really all over the country um, through this rotational training program at at L'Oreal and then in Paris, um, just keeping that rolling, but, but more at a global level. And all the young women listen up. So that's the thing. Like people talk about, oh, there are the feminized career tracks and they just don't have a strong enough path to CEO like HR marketing. And that's not it. It's the P&L experience. So if you love marketing and you think you maybe want to be a CEO one day, there's definitely a path. And just demand that in the next 12 to 18 months that they start giving you some P&L experience and be a brand manager because that's really unlocks so much career potential. We had Mary Dillon on talking about the, that exact same thing, that because she was a brand manager and had that experience, that's a mini CEO in many ways. You know, you're running this business and that was the key to her then having this extraordinary pathway. So a good lesson for everyone who thinks, oh, I like this other stuff. Just get some PL experience. Absolutely. Get some PL experience. Learn what it's like to, um, I mean, you know, and, and, and marketing in general, I, I am a huge, you know, this, at CPG companies, marketing and brand management is kind of the, the path through which many executives come up. And it makes sense, right? Because, you know, to market a problem, you've got to, to market a product, you've got to understand the whole life cycle from the consumer pain point to the manufacturing, to the distribution channels. You really are the mini CEO. You're the hub of the wheel. Um, and I don't think I realize that it's also to anyone who's building their career out right now and, and sort of trying to engineer all of the right steps of the process. You can't like, don't worry. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Looking back on it, like we all do, we can see that there were these through lines. We can see how one learning here propelled something else. One opportunity, you know, opened, um, opened the next set of doors, For me, the pivot to entrepreneurship happened because of this CPG, brand management, heavy consumer experience. I knew that I did want to pursue an MBA. As an English major, I I was halfway joking, but also serious about how English really was literature and and French as well. Those were my passions. Those were my academic passions. And and I had not really leaned into finance or stats or economics in my undergraduate experience. I never, I learned it on the job at L'Oreal, but I never wanted to sit in a boardroom reviewing my own financial statements and be afraid to ask questions. It was mm-hmm. really important to me that, um, that I felt confident and fluent in the language of numbers with my own, whether it was, I didn't know that they'd be my own financial statements at the time, but you know, any business that I was running. So I decided to go to business school. I chose to go to the University of Chicago, mostly to focus in finance. As I was waiting to start, I was given a kind of a a short-term EIR role within a venture capital fund here in Chicago. Thank you, Nick Rosa and Sandbox Industries. And and it was that experience where all these founders said, oh my gosh, you are a brand manager. You are a marketer. You've taken global products to market. You've helped build, you know, billions of dollars of revenue net nationwide. Help me with this little nascent project. So I was able to, to add value in within this portfolio of, of early stage um, consumer companies, but but they added so much value to my life because they, they opened my eyes to the fact that early stage ecosystems existed right here in Chicago under my nose. And those, you know, early stage tech companies needed a passion for the consumer, needed an advocate for the customer journey, needed someone to articulate the precise pain point and to design problems and solutions, design solutions specifically for those problems. So my pivot to entrepreneurship was as a marketer advising early stage companies on their go-to-market plans. Little did I know that was just the beginning of of a series of unbelievable life-changing experiences. Yes. So let's get into them. So in 2012, which probably feels like a lifetime ago, it's like the COVID time warp, uh, you started your first company pretty quick while you were getting your MBA at University of Chicago. Um, Tell us about your idea for it, what inspired it, uh, and what your experience was. You were a relatively young female founder at the time. I know a lot's changed also in the last 10 years. Thankfully, you know, you're no longer an an only. There are many more that we can point to. But, you know, you were definitely blazing a trail at the time. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience. 
so, you know, having come from the, the CPG world and being familiar with consumer, this consumer um, and consumer businesses, um, I, I had no idea what I was diving into. Uh, consumer tech, consumer marketplace, sure, that must kind of be like CPG, right? You know, launching launching a tech product with basically no resources that must be just like launching a you know, <laughs> global a global brand. Better to not know. Twenty three million dollars of media spend when I was twenty three years old. My my marketing budget was was at least twenty three million, but I'll never forget that number um, because I wanted it so desperately uh, when I when I got in and realized what it was like to have none of it. Um, but you know, yeah. So I threw myself in to just layers and layers of unknown, which I'll unpack in just a second. But I did it all because I was convinced of a deep consumer pain, which was that there was a $70 billion industry that is the salon and spa services industry that lacked and frankly still lacks a marketplace. How is it possible that supply and demand do not meet seamlessly in this salon and spa industry when you need a table, you book a table. There's open table and now there's all these other competitors that are also gaining market yeah. share. Restaurants, done. Transportation, done. Hospitality, done. Travel, done. Salon and spa, not done. So um, I knew that I wanted to solve that problem. I wanted to solve it for women like myself. My, my story came from, um, I was traveling internationally, going back from Paris to the U.S., and I wanted to get an eyebrow wax when I had a flight delay, which I know sounds maybe like it's crazy to, to, to some people to hear that. Um, but I was busy. I didn't have time. Self-care, I was not prioritizing self-care. Um, and busy women often don't. And this was found time. Um, so I was wandering around the airport, going into one of those little airport spas. By the way, don't usually you should not trust those airport spas to um, <laughs> wax your eyebrows. Um, but... But it, that was the genesis of the idea was, gosh, if I wasn't trapped in this airport, what would I do with this found time? There'd still be no better way walking down the streets of Paris for me to pull up an app that told me who was close, who was yeah. available, who, who was open in that exact same minute. So that pain point, that kernel of an idea, of course, amplified because I wanted all women to have the ease, ease of access to self-care, um, started all of this. Uh, so that was, the, that was the problem that we were trying to solve. And, um, you know, we went through so many different versions of solutions and so many different, um, so many different learnings along the way. Uh, ultimately, we got a lot right. Competitors were going out of business left and right because it's extremely hard to match supply and demand when you don't know supply. So there are just so many fundamental um, industry and tech stack challenges that ultimately we were able to start to overcome through very innovative real-time solutions, which allowed us to, to gain market share quickly, to grow really quickly and exit the business in 2015 to Groupon. Groupon at the time had a billion dollar health, beauty and wellness vertical that was declining in frequency. So it was it was actually really exciting and, and kind of a, a next chapter of entrepreneurship to think think about how all that we had built could help turn around this giant category. Yeah. And so you led beauty there for a bit of time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Two and a half years where we were infusing this publicly traded behemoth that had become really matrixed um, and had lost a lot of entrepreneurial energy um, from its early days. And we were bringing that back. You know, I ran a cross-functional general management, um, you know, P&L with a whole bunch of levers that we were pulling to try to infuse brand and convenience and quality back into um, back into that UX. And some parts of it were successful and, and we moved the needle yeah. in some way and, and other parts were just, were really hard to change. Um, yeah. But it was a great experience. Yeah. How great to get that experience at a large global publicly traded company. So what's one thing that you learned there that you may not have learned or experienced that you may not have gotten that's now helped you the second time around as an entrepreneur? I think before even we get to Groupon, um, you know, the, the experience of Pretty Quick was, you know, 
the, the, you name it, the month, the quarter, the year, there were just like, it was all a giant learning. Um, and we did a lot and we created a lot of investor return and shareholder value, but it was all new, right? Like if anybody is listening to this and is wondering, you know, should I go all in and, and take the, the entrepreneurial plunge? Like if you're obsessed, if you can't get an idea out of your head, if you think that a problem is worth fighting for, because it will be a fight every day, then yes. And if you fail along the way or you don't take it as far as you think you should, who cares? <laughs> because you're going to learn so incredibly much from it. Again, I mentioned I've had, I've been so lucky to have these phases of learning and knowledge and, and sort of many MBAs in my life. One of them was a real MBA, but, um, but, but the greatest teacher by far was my first startup. Um, you know, how do you as a non-technical founder connect and recruit technologists how do you um, go out and raise money when um, your unit economics are not yet viable, <laughs> when you are selling only a vision? Um, how do you, what do you do when the first product that you build isn't the right one and you just lost every bit of your investor's money and your own valuable time um, and probably should just you know pack it in and call it quits? How do you rebuild from there and go back at it a second time, um, should you? Um, so questions around opportunity cost, questions around team and talent and, and bringing in the right folks, questions around metrics orientation and, and what you're really optimizing for. Um, sales, God, how do you do marketplace strategy? How do you sell to customers and market to end users at the same time, paced perfectly such that supply and demand are always, you know, mapping together. So those are just a, a couple of the lessons learned at Pretty Quick, translated to, to Groupon. I certainly would not be where I am now with Equilibria without learning so many of those, the most valuable of which is really about business model. So much can be going right in a business, but unless you see really, you know, I, I don't invest in businesses that are not demonstrating unit economic viability from the beginning either uh, because I learned the hard way with, with pretty quick that everything has to go perfectly. If the business model is not set up for success, if the business model is set up for success, then the headwinds that you run into along the way, you can figure out, you can pivot, right. You can pivot left. You can flex, you can morph, but you know, if you don't, if you don't start with a good business model, meaning one that is almost unit economic viable or where there's yeah. some sort of recurring revenue or confidence that the customer will return and generate gross profit, you know, it's just really hard to earn that if you don't get it right the first time. I've heard some people talk about that that is also a Chicago mentality, that the West Coast is much more uh, forgiving of that and willing to uh, dive in more. I'm wondering if you've experienced that. That's been one of the critiques of you know our startup culture versus the coast, that um, they will do more of that early, early and taking bigger risks. I don't know if you have a perspective on that. I, I think there is a difference between, you know, reckless there's there's reckless belief in nothing but a vision let's look at quibi for example um you know and we all i think you know meg whitman is is, is an idol what did they spend a billion dollars on that yeah i mean that that is a hyperbolic example i recognize but there is there is reckless conviction in nothing but a but a vision and and i don't think that um, and, and then there's like, you know, highly conservative approaches that, that, that don't ascribe much value to, you know, to what could be, or to vision, to vision beyond the, the demonstrated economics and the demonstrated financials and sort of, um, you know, looking back versus looking forward and valuing a business that way. And I think that there's a place in the middle. Um, and, it, but, but I, I do, <laughs> Call me conservative, but I do believe that that businesses are businesses because they make money, and um, and if they, you know, and 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 there's a place for for saving the world and larger visions. And I believe Equilibria is actually on that path. Like we are legitimately every single day restoring balance to the lives of women. We are a mission driven company, but we do it in a in a way that is responsible. We have conviction in our product. We earn her loyalty through our subscription uh, model. We are helping her 
uh, her retention rates are off the charts. Simply, uh, um, it's a check and balance against irresponsible uses of capital. (laughs) This is working. Now let's scale it and let's go all the way in. Yes. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Shore Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shore microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shore lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. Okay, so let's talk about Equilibria. You started it in 2018 with your partner, Marcy. So let's just level set for everyone who's not familiar. There's CBD, then there's cannabis. They are not the same. So if you could just give our audience the high-level CBD for dummies 101, what are the main differences between CBD products and cannabis products and why CBD? Perfect. So the industry at large, the, the plant itself is the cannabis plant. That is the umbrella plant. The line in the sand is 0.3% THC. If you are under that line, the plant itself is called industrial hemp. If you are over that line of 0.3% THC, the plant itself is called marijuana or weed. The federal farm bill in 2018 legalized the sale of CBD, which is one of over 100 different phytocannabinoids or therapeutic molecules that come from the cannabis plant itself. But the Farm Bill legalized the sale of CBD only from industrial hemp. The sale of CBD that is sourced from marijuana plants is still highly regulated, um, and those products are sold through dispensaries in uh, state-regulated channels nationwide. But in 2018, the Farm Bill legalized the sale of CBD sourced from industrial hemp and other cannabinoids, by the way. Um, So that is the lay of the land. Cannabis is the kind of meta uh, plant. Mm -hmm. 0.3% THC is the line in the sand differentiating industrial hemp from marijuana. CBD sourced from industrial hemp, federally legal, though not yet regulated by the FDA. CBD is one of over 100 different phytocannabinoids or these therapeutic molecules that come from the plant. And along with terpenes, CBD and its sort of cousin cannabinoids work together to amplify these really incredible therapeutic benefits in your body. Um, so, So CBD is, whereas THC, it's perhaps more famous cousin is, um, does produce psychoactive effects, um, along with many other medicinal benefits, but mostly known for, you know, mind altering, um, effects. CBD is not known for those effects. This is about regulating, helping your body regulate better, um, attaching to receptors, throughout a network of cells in our body known as the endocannabinoid system, which is itself responsible for balance and regulation. So that's what CBD is doing in our body. It's helping our bodies balance better. So when did you discover all of this? What was your journey of CBD discovery? And when did you realize, I want to start this company? I sat down as an investor with a brilliant woman with whom I have collaborated before. Actually, Marcy, my now co-founder, built the first version of Pretty Quick. She was our outsourced CTO before we brought tech in-house. And we sat down and um, post-exit to Groupon, I had begun writing angel checks and women. Um, another area that I'm deeply passionate about is you know, investing and advising in now consumer CPG, as well as consumer tech and consumer marketplace businesses, um, having learned a little something along the way um, versus pretty, pretty quick when I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But, you know, so have a portfolio of, of angel investments in women and desperately wanted to write Marcy a check because she's always just got her finger on the pulse of the next new thing. She's a really innovative thinker, full stack developer, um, and, and really thoughtful product leader here in Chicago. So I said, Marcy, what are you up to? What are you working on? Let me help. And instead of pitching me on some idea, she just opened up about what was really going on with her and shared that it hadn't been a great year or two. She'd been stuck in a kayaking accident underwater in a whirlpool and had twisted her spine. 
which oh, wow. thankfully she was okay, but resulted in a tremendous amount of spinal pain and lack of mobility. And after weeks and weeks of taking, you know, pain meds, it wasn't helping. Someone for her birthday had gifted her a high quality CBD product. This was right before the farm bill was passed in 2017. So thankfully it was high quality. It was sourced from a reputable provider. It was full spectrum. And thankfully Marcy had done enough research to know that this wasn't a flash in the pan kind of a, of a thing. She needed to commit to it and take it daily. So she took this CBD every single day and she noticed that her pain went from a 10 to a two. And more interestingly, that if she was able to stick with it, you know, after a couple of weeks, she noticed that she was able to titrate off of a lot of drugs that she was using to manage other mental health um, yeah. conditions. So I was struck by her story. I then had a similar story where I felt more present in my own mind. I felt like I had a longer fuse with my children. I was able to manage through stressful days and also titrate off of and, and take less of uh, Enbrel, which is a, an injectable drug that I use to manage an autoimmune condition in my spine. So, you know, from the beginning, Marcy and I came together and we knew that the last thing this industry needed was just another CBD company. There were lots of different product companies out there. What this industry needed and specifically what women needed and women can benefit so much from CBD because of its balancing properties and our bodies, which are so often out of balance. So what this sort of perfect pair of women and, and, and CBD was all about was education and creating a community for women where they could meet an educator, her own educator, to guide her through the routine and the system um, that was that was right for her. Because what you, Margaret, need for your body and your health goals is different than what I, Coco, need for mine. Uh, yeah. So from the beginning, we were we were really focused on on being a health tech services company. Um, yeah. And yes, products are really important. That's that's what delivers the, the 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 ultimate result for our member. We are owners in our own organic farm in Colorado, but it's about much much more than just the products. And what a great business partner you already knew and trusted each other, and so to be able to have the opportunity to embark on this journey again, how fun! Oh what were gosh. you worried about? So fun, Margaret. I mean, I think, you know, going back to some of those lessons early on at, at Pretty Quick, my original uh, CTO and I didn't make it together. And she's a, an incredible technologist out now and in, in, on the West Coast, but it wasn't the right fit. You know, anybody who's been through that before, and, and it's okay. You know, you, you have to be honest about when it's not working. And yeah. and at the end of the day, those dynamics are are the most important ones. And, um, and they don't all, they're not all healthy. And so you can sort of move through them and rebuild if you're honest and transparent about where the problems are. If you can't correct them, it's okay. There's other options, but it was, um, it was, you know, it was Marcy and I were both eyes wide open about how complimentary we could be for each other. We're really different in our approach, but I think our complementarity is, is a source of really great strength. Yeah. I mean, it should be one plus one equals three or four, totally. right? Like together you should amplify each other and be able to do so much more, go farther, faster than either of you ever could on your own. You know, what we were worried about together, knowing that we knew each other, we trusted each other. We knew that one person's strengths were the other person's opportunities, yeah. but we were, were both comfortable doing you know, really rolling up our sleeves and kind of like building. We're both builders. Um, yeah. And so transitioning from building, which we did ourselves. I mean, we we uh, got started at M-Hub, which was a wonderful ecosystem for us yeah. with lots of consumer and IoT and just wonderful support from the community there. And we would sit and we would pack our orders that day and we, all of our inventory was in a cage in the back. Uh, we'd receive, you know, our first shipments in from the, um, you know, the, 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 the warehouse capability there. It was, it was really a great place for, for the business to get started. And we were in it. Marcy built every, every bit of the website. I did every bit of the marketing. So I think both of us, though we've, you know, started, scaled and sold businesses, really love that tinkering phase. Um, it's fun, right? I mean, every yeah. day you get to see so much of what you build, you know, whether or not it's working, you're just 
living and breathing in the in the dashboards, like looking at at subscriber growth or um, you know obsessing over churn and figuring out how you pause it and stop it. And our challenge together has been figuring out um, how to let go and how to delegate to leaders who are stronger and more capable and um, and setting the course for those leaders. And that's where the business is now. And it's it's been really rewarding to bring in just incredible talent because this is a big, big idea. This is not just a CBD company. This is a this is a women's wellness platform that and kind of the sky's the limit for how much good we can do for for our members. We just yeah. we have to let we have to let we have to allow room for that creativity and for that building. So how many staff are you up to? How many employees? We're up to about 70 now. You know, we'll be right around 100 by Q1 of next year. Wow. That's really transformative. Yeah. Really exciting. So for people who may be thinking about embarking on their CBD journey for the first time, doesn't know where to begin, doesn't know who to trust, where to even start with their research, what do you recommend? First of all, whether or not you choose Equilibria, it's really, really important that you ask questions. This industry is still not regulated by the FDA. Mm-hmm. Look for third-party lab results. In those lab results, you're looking for things like no heavy metals, no pesticides. Um, you're looking for safety. And you're also looking for a robust, well-balanced display of cannabinoids. Ideally, you don't want to buy an isolate CBD product. Isolate, exactly like it sounds, is an isolated CBD molecule that's not working with other parts of the plant to amplify its powers. There's a concept known as the entourage effect in cannabis, where each of these cannabinoids, CBD, CBN, THC, THCV, they're all working together to make make each other better. The terpenes are also a really important part of the of the entourage effect and this this bouquet of therapeutic molecules um which which deliver the end result you're looking in those lab reports to make sure that you're seeing lots of different cannabinoids represented and at you know um decent percentages along with your cbd of course you're also just validating that what is in the bottle in terms of the minimum amount of cbd is really in the is really there There's still a lot of folks cutting corners in this industry, um, not just in terms of results, but also in terms of safety. So be careful and ask questions. It seems that way. And it's intimidating, right? Like I I live in Lakeview and some of the shops, like some of them still look a little seedy. You're just like, what is this? And I could see it being intimidating for women. Like, I don't, I just don't want to go in there. I don't know that I trust anyone in there. I don't know that I trust anyone. And also like, what exactly is this thing? I, I went into right. the endocannabinoid system and some of the science a little while ago, but when I had that first meeting with Marcy and then decided to go and we did this whole road show where we were, you know, deciding which hemp farm to partner with and ultimately bought into one of them that we had the most conviction in because we are more a genetics firm than we are a farm. Yeah. It is the quality of the literal DNA, right, of the of the flower that determines how many cannabinoids and terpenes are, terpenes are present. Um, some folks are optimizing for medical benefit, for therapeutic benefit, and some folks are just, you know, using hemp DNA that was has been used for millennia for rope and for textiles and, you know, calling that CBD. Yeah. It's not. So, yeah. ask questions, do your research, learn about how it works. When I first learned about CBD, I thought it's snake oil. There's no way that one ingredient could help with sleep, could help with anxiety, could help with pain, could help with autoimmune, could help with endocrine balance. Like That's not possible. It's only when you understand how the endocannabinoid system, your, your, your body's kind of master balancing system works, that you can begin to believe that one ingredient could have so many yeah. you know, benefits. So, so do your homework, personal- ask questions, do research, um, and then, you know, low and slow. Consistency is very, very, very important. You're not, this isn't Western medicine where you take, you take this after you already have a headache and you want your headache to go away. It's, you're building up your body's endocannabinoid system so that it can function like it was always supposed to, so that mm-hmm. maybe you don't get that headache in the first place. 
or have that anxiety response in the first place. So it's, it's almost preventative in that way. So just know going in that it's going to take time and it really is a journey, not a destination. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. And that is hard for um, Western culture, right? Like we like the, I have a headache, I'm going to take three Excedrin and then I can time it in 40 minutes, my headache will be gone, right? And then we start to feel good when we're doing something preventative and then we say, oh, we're good. And how many times do we have to fall off that cliff before we finally learn? I mean, I'm 48 tomorrow and I feel like I'm still learning this sometimes. I'm like, when am I going to learn? Happy birthday, Margaret. Thank you. Old. Fabulous. Fabulous. (laughs) Equilibria, balance for women, right? What woman is wearing, what woman is wearing only one hat? We're constantly balancing all these things in our life and you're, you're doing that. So exciting. Thank you. What is your personal CBD routine? What do you do? My EQ is I take, I love our soft gels. Our soft gels are just, um, I was talking with, with a good friend yesterday who calls them her magic pills. And they, to me, they're slow release. They're just our full spectrum, high quality hemp oil from our own genetics, um, encapsulated. And I take a 25 milligram soft gel at night. So it's slower release. It's going through my digestive system. I'm not getting all 25 milligrams of CBD, but it's with me all night long. There's a difference between falling asleep and staying asleep, right? Yes. So, um, I take I love one of our newest products. It's called our Rapid Calming Melt. We've partnered with a, um, a really exciting biotech firm who has a suite of patents all around um, bioavailability and basically getting these these active pharmaceutical active ingredients into the body as, as as quickly as possible. So our Rapid Calming Melts are super fast onset. I, they're peppermint flavored. I put one rapid calming melt under my tongue as I'm going to sleep to help with sleep. And then 25 milligram soft gel, I'm out. Uh, so that's my sleep routine. And then during the day, I love our gummies. I have my gummies on my desk whenever I need them. It's a little treat throughout the day that just kind of keeps me nice and steady. You have kids, right? How old are they? They are six and four. Six and four. Similar to um, you. I have two sections. Yeah. Have you thought about how you will talk to them about your CBT routine? Do they know about it yet? Do you talk to them about it? They know all about it. It's funny. We just got, we're running a big direct mail campaign nationally right now. And of course we didn't do dedupe the list for all of the uh, employees. So a bunch of direct mail pieces arrived at my house yesterday with the Equilibria logo all over them and unprompted. My daughter says, oh, it's mommy's vitamins that have arrived in the mail. So They know all about mommy's vitamins. I'll use CBD topically with them when they have a bug bite. Um, It's it's really therapeutic and and, and really great great for the skin. Um, So itchiness, sunburn. So they know all about mommy's vitamins on the skin and topical uses now. And they know that grownups really enjoy mommy's vitamins for, um, you know, ingested in, in ingested ways for health and wellness. I, I try to talk with them, you know, about the fact that these are, you know, we're, we're a mission driven company. Um, yeah. and so I try to imbue a little bit of that into them even now. That's really great. So they'll, this will just all be demystified for them by the time, you know, they're ready for it. So a lot of transformational events occurred since you started your company. I mean, I can't think of a more tumultuous three years, right? So you had both the legalization of, uh, cannabis, marijuana, this whole category, and then also a global pandemic, <laughs> So which do you want to talk about first in terms of the impact on your business, your dealer's choice? Let's go with, let's go with, let's go with COVID. Um, and and I'll say we were one of the businesses who, who saw a huge tailwind from, from COVID, right? We, we felt very lucky, Margaret, to be able to be a resource to our members, our education team. So we have this whole team. I mean, Again, every single member at Equilibria has a personal specialist who's working with her. Not like she can asynchronously chat, she can email, or she can just pick up the phone and have a telehealth session with her specialist. And, you know, I have to give so much credit to that team for, you know, they're on the front lines. What were they thinking about what they were hearing, right? They were hearing about so much loss. They were hearing about so much isolation, so much fear, so much anxiety. And they just, um, we had to be really mindful about the ways that we were supporting that team um, to support others, to not give so much that they, you know, weren't able to, to maintain their own boundaries. Women needed 
a place to go, someone to talk to. Many of our members told us that they had more like, intimate and authentic and real conversations with our with our education team um, than than any other healthcare provider in their life. Um, yeah, because there's just a relatability there. Um, they know it's a safe place. They know it's a, a confidential place, and they can really be real and raw about what's going on with them, and then translate it, you know, into into um, recommendations to to kind of get them back on track and and help address their goals. I will say that you know the the combination of telehealth and DTC and right. heightened you know, immunity and um, just, just thinking about our health in preventative ways, thinking about our mental health in preventative ways. What can we do to manage all of that anxiety, stress, issues with sleep? Um, we were really able to help. And I'm just so glad that we were in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I know your trajectory uh, has been incredible in part because of some of these things that have happened yeah. and people have needed you more than ever. And and this is where we'll need to innovate, Margaret, because we see as the world is opening up, people are delighted to get back, you know, myself included. I want to shop, you know, all my gifts this year are local. They're from down the street. They're from my favorite boutiques who have either, you know, are brand new because yeah. the, the last one didn't make it or, or they've made it through. Right. And so our, in our next phase, I mean, you'll see omni-channel activity for us. We've got to meet her where she is and she's no longer yeah. just online. She's ready to get off of only being online. Yes. Do you see any of your own freestanding brick and mortar stores in your future or will you be part of like a store and oh, store? You mean, you mean the Apple store for women and cannabinoid driven functional routines? Absolutely. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. I mean, with, with so much, with so much of our brand focused on education, how could we not? Right. right. Um, we've got to, we, we can help. It is a very, very overwhelming category. It's yes. overwhelming. What is it for? How do you use it? How much did you use? Is it safe? Um, so we are, we're really excited about being able to meet her in real life, eventually in our own retail um, environments and, and guide her through what's right for her. Okay. I can't wait. Stay tuned. So um, you are a proud Chicagoan. You are very involved in our city. Uh, a lot of entities focused on promoting Chicago as a great place to start a business right now. You know, we hear a lot of focus and attention. We're hearing all about the unicorns. You know, there's a lot that's uh, being done to promote Chicago. Anything that you have been able to do with either of your businesses because you've started them in Chicago that maybe you wouldn't have done or couldn't do if you started them elsewhere? Has there been a benefit to having Chicago as your business partner through either of these journeys? Back to the conversation we were having earlier about, you know, kind of revenue and financial focus versus um, versus maybe more big picture dreaming. I think that focusing on those, on those fundamentals, I do attribute that to being a part of this community. And I, and I think it is a, a net pro, not a net con. I really do think that um, at the end of the day, you know, fundamentals matter. So, so that's that's one thing is just kind of um, building good businesses. Chicago knows how to build good businesses. Yeah. Chicago also knows how to nurture entrepreneurs with board members, investors, advisors, um, executives within the corporate community who can help who are eager to reach out, get involved and help steward these companies from eight figures to nine figures. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been really exciting to partner with folks. We've just added Clive Serkin, who is, who was the chief growth officer from Kellogg's, for example, onto our board of directors. And Clive is just, is one example of a, um, of a, dedicated Chicagoan who had an incredible career as president of Leo Burnett and then CGO at Kellogg's, who is yeah. there to help support the entrepreneurial community. And, and I could name dozens more like him. Um, yeah. So I think focus on the fundamentals and network and advisorship are just huge. Genevieve Tears is another one. Genevieve very involved with Pretty Quick. And then our first angel investor at, at, at Equilibria. Again, I could go on and on and on. But those two elements of foundational economics and community just cannot be understated. Yeah. And then combine, so you have this wonderful ecosystem and then combine that with what has happened in COVID, which has opened up the ability for hybrid work in ways that we could not have even imagined. So have you shifted how you're developing your leadership team geographically than what you thought you were going to be doing when you started this in 2018? 
Absolutely. When we left for COVID on that day in March 2020, we had just built out an office space for 26, and all 26 of us were headquartered here in Chicago. Uh, when we started emerging and, and came back from it all, we were 70, fully distributed across the country. Yeah. Um, so about half and half in Chicago and not half and not in Chicago. Um, our most recent investor is a multinational CPG based in London. Um, so both in terms of cap table as well as team, we are we are seeking and recruiting and nurturing relationships with the best and the brightest within yeah. consumer and kind of health tech and this very unique intersection. And it's really liberating to not be confined by geography, yeah. of course. Yeah. I will say though that you know, there's no playbook, right, for how you do it. Um, you know, of course, we have a bunch of, of retreats and meetups and intentional gathering times um, when, when we're all together. And it feels so good when you have those intense couple of days. But then, you know, a couple months go by and you're back to being, you know, on Zoom um, yeah. a lot. So I, I think we're all trying to make hybrid work and there's so many pros. Um, but if someone has like the perfect formula for for togetherness and team bonding yeah. in, in this hybrid world, I'd love to talk with you. Well, that always has been what's been talked about as one of the limiting factors of being able to scale uh, companies in Chicago is once you get to that, like you said, eight figures to nine figures, that skilled, experienced leadership team who's done that a few times before isn't necessarily in Chicago. So now we're having to recruit people to move to Chicago, which has, you know, been a tough proposition, you know, someone who's lived in California for the last 20 years, sometimes yep. it could be a tough sell for moving to Chicago. Yep. And now we don't have to, right? You can yeah. still oh, grow the company there, but then have a CTO, a COO, a CFO, like whatever it is that you need and building out your leadership team from all sorts of places, even internationally. Yeah. It's incredible. Absolutely, Margaret. It's, it's, it's changed the game for sure. So just one more thing I want to touch on, because in addition to running Equilibria, you are really dedicated to giving back to the Chicago community, both through your investment vehicles, like you discussed in terms of Rebel and investing in female uh, first-time founders, but also your civic commitments as well. So you're on the boards of the Joffrey, your Le Ballet, the American Writers Museum, which I'll do a plug. We're doing an event there on December 15th. We, we try to partner with them. We Whenever we do like a book event, we try to, to do it there. We're big fans of the museum. But they so why these two? I mean, we understand Joffrey and Ballet, but why the American Writers Museum? Why has that been the place you've wanted to give your time and talent to? It all goes back to being that um, that English major who just didn't know what her future held. But I yeah. knew that, you know, that books and writing and storytelling was important. And, um, you know, both performing arts, specifically dance, you know, you're telling a story through movement. Of course, writing, you're telling a story through words. So yeah. um, when we are, when we move as fast as we do, um, you know, it's so hard to access, to really be fully present. I find myself, I am fully present in occupying every single minute when I'm with my kids and when I am reading a great book or watching something on stage. How can you let your mind wander when you are immersed in the theater like that? So um, I just, I want to remind us all that, you know, as, as much as we are living this hybrid life on screen, off screen, fully connected, moving at the speed of light, a thousand touch points coming at us all the time, like we're just humans. And I think kind of re-engaging with the common humanity of man and getting in touch with the arts is just a, it's a reminder where we've come from and a place where we can let our creativity and our imagination wander, which yep. feels really restorative for me. It does. So for anyone listening, if you have not gone to the American Writers Museum yet, it is just one of the hidden gems of Chicago. It's just a really, really neat and special place. Bring your kids you can play with all the old typewriters. It's uh, really, really neat. Well that's said. My, that's my Thank plug. you, Margaret. Good plug. Oh. Totally worth it. Love supporting them. So um, before you go, I would like to talk about one last thing, and this is conceptions of beauty, because you have been in mm -hmm. beauty industry, health and wellness. Um, we're always sending messages 
depending on, you know, like we were just talking before the recording started, like, oh, I have makeup on today. You know, these are things that we notice. Did you yeah. put makeup on? Did you do your hair? And just all of these pressures. And this has also been revolutionized during this pandemic too, right? And so your take on the role of beauty balanced with health and wellness, you know, for women, because these are not the same. And a lot of women think, oh, self-care is like taking care of my beauty routine. And it could be, um, but maybe that's not what you need to be doing and you need to be doing something else. So sometimes they intersect, sometimes they're separate. I would just love your perspective on this intersection between wellness, self-care, beauty. Yeah. And we see, um, we see in the, you know, we see a lot of brands crossing that chasm today. Those who had their roots as, as kind of traditional beauty companies pivoting to kind of inside out, nutraceutical, skin glow, hair health. And then, you know, a little bit, certainly, I mean, there's plenty of CBD companies and and nutraceutical companies out there also that are pivoting to, to beauty brands and and skincare brands. Not that they've earned the right to do so, right? That's like a totally, you know, a lot of people are just jumping in line, I think too quickly, but um, yeah. What's the intersection between those two things? Just how you are talking about it at Equilibria, how you would like women to be thinking about and talking about these things. You know, I think at Equilibria, we, in any other FDA environment, we would call ourselves a healthcare company. Mm -hmm. We know that given the regulatory landscape, of course, we are a plant-based wellness company. We are a nutraceutical company. But we are, you know, deeply committed to this idea that CBD and other highly efficacious plant-based therapies, you know, are the future of wellness. I mean, they, they really, really are. And that, you know, we see more and more of the population, more and more women, specifically 35 and up, you know, our core customer is a postmenopausal woman who is really opening her mind to this idea of alternatives. And the fact that there are these plant-based therapies are like revolutionary, that they're not, um, that, that they can be real viable alternatives to just yet another, you know, pharmaceutical in, in her regimen is like, life-changing. So that's that's where our focus is. It, it is much more on the healthcare, clinical, you know, kind of life. We want to change her life. We are changing her yeah. life. I mean, we get the notes that we get from women are, God, I didn't realize, I didn't know how much anxiety I was carrying. I slept for the first time in 12 years. You know, yes. I had a period this month without extreme pain, you know, like yeah. real love letters. It is so meaningful to be a part of her life in that way. So I think for me, like that's where I'm leaning in and I want my career to go. And I want an an equilibria is, is, is catapulting us. There is like real change, real wellness, real well-being for women. And then I think beauty, the way we talk about it is like, what makes you Margaret feel like, you know, the best in your own skin? What makes me Coco I love a red lip and I'm not ashamed of that. Like it makes me feel put together. I love my pop of color. It's self-expression. So it's not that I, it's not, I'm not ashamed of it. It's not, there's no negative, but it's not, it's not medicine. It's not life-changing. It just makes me feel a certain way. It gives me confidence, which I think, so to me, maybe that's the differentiation, beauty, confidence, feeling great in our own skin. But, but this whole world of wellness is, is really the substitution is pharmaceutical. I mean, it's yes, it's healthcare. It's changing lives. No great lipstick, no matter how great that red is, can affect our life in that way. I know. And that's where I would like to see conversations moving more towards. Like, so yes, getting your roots done and a manicure and waxing and all that. Yes, that's maintenance. And there may be parts of that that make you feel really good. Like, I just yeah. feel better. I feel more confident. Like, I have a lightness in my step. I am excited to start my day. And so if that's true, then that's great. That actually is truly self-care. But if it's just maintenance, you know, for a presentation, that's you got to do some of this other stuff too that's not actually self-care. And I see a lot of women getting caught in these maintenance beauty maintenance cycles that yeah. aren't actually caring for themselves. Um, and I do think that the lines get blurred. They think that they are, right? I just spent, and you can add up the hours, right? <laughs> you, right. you can spend hours upon hours doing this maintenance, but just ask yourself, is it truly self-care? Maybe it is, right. but maybe it's not. 
Absolutely. No, very well said. So let's just end with our rapid fire round. We love doing this. I have a special set of questions for you. Don't overthink it. We'll do it really quick. Your favorite piece to dance to? Sam Bush, Helen at the Moon. You're not long story, inside joke, country dance at a bar in Wyoming, right? Like out of our everyday. One of the books that you recommend the most? The Hard Thing About Hard Things. The biggest thing you learned about yourself during COVID? I hate working from home. (laughs) You're on a desert island. You can only take three beauty products with you. What do you take? Well, this goes back to our conversation. I need my daily 25 milligram soft gel. So -hmm. let's call that my wellness wellness routine. Um, Number one. The face oil, I have a few that I love, but I want a very rich, I have very dry skin. And I love our daily treatment oil, for example. And then a good red lip, make me feel like myself. I know. I always like asking three. People say like, what's the one yeah. product? And that's just too hard for yeah. me. Like just, I can't yeah. pick one. Yeah. Because then I'm going to revert to like lip balm because it's a desert island. So I need like, but that's not really what I want. So those were great answers. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Play with my kids. The last show that you binge watched and loved. Queen's Gambit. Favorite emoji. Party parrot. Something not everyone knows about you. I'm from Alabama. Yes. You're from Alabama. Your favorite smell. Gardenia. And if you could go back and say something to that, let's say, 12-year-old girl in Alabama, what would you say to her? Don't worry so much. Thank you, Coco, for being here with us. You are such a treasure to Chicago, to female entrepreneurs everywhere, to the civic community here in Chicago. I'm honored to know you. We're just so proud of you. And thank you for being on our podcast. Love being here, Margaret. Thank you for all the amazing work that you do to bring the city together and to um, to foster a really great conversation. This was so fun. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of The Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org. See you next time.